out of Austin, Texas. You're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hi, this is Sheila Dean with That AI Show and the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. We are running a July promotion to get as many Substack followers as humanly possible to subscribe at SheilaMDean.Substack.com. Please go to the website and hit subscribe uh, for a goal of 500 subscriptions. So far, so good. So that's Liberty in Many Directions, SheilaMDean.Substack.com. So what do you get? What's in it for you? You get podcast content aired specifically on Colin.com from That AI Show, a Saturday show on AI subject matter with conversation, and the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives, as well as specific writings from yours truly. So go ahead, uh, get on board and promote. If you like the stuff that you're hearing and perceiving and reading, Go ahead and try to get at least three to five friends or a hundred friends if you want to uh, buy in and subscribe. This is the month to do it. Time is ticking. Let's go. Right. Hello and welcome to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. We're still continuing our summer reading series to unsanction your mind. I did a seven-minute monologue midweek, which is kind of like these, this kind of unbridled conscious moment where I'm like telling everybody to kind of, no, not kind of, just, just understand that speech is free. So it's only seven minutes. I, you know, listen to it and throw it out there. I just kind of wanted to assert that because speech is free. I just don't think people really understand that anymore. Because they're being subtly brainwashed that speech isn't free, but it really is. So I'm urging people to adopt the idea that, that actually legally speech is free. Um, what people want to do to you because of the speech that you speak, that's a totally different object. Totally different legal object. Alright, again, we are uh, here to read The Bodies of Others, Chapter 12, and this is the Tech Bubble vast wealth via killing human competition and this is the tome written by Ms. Naomi Wolf feminist author and luminary um, who, wrote, who wrote The Bodies of Others okay here I go even as the near universal masking continued to sow division it further served big tech and the leadership in China by training the population in obedience and accustoming people to surrender both their human capital and their assets. In short, the world of tech used governments as their handmaidens to wage a war of restrictions against the human race. The result of this was both profits and damage nearly beyond human imagining. Now, via mask mandates, brilliantly and at a stroke, big tech had created a world that neutered the power and appeal the complexity and communicativeness of the miraculous human face. It had achieved a world that blunted the advantage of the lively, curious human face against those less subtle or responsive 
In substituting the emotions generated by machines for those of humans, big tech had built a cruder world lacking in deeper understanding that depends on expression, nuance, speech, and breathing. Intentionally or not, the lockdown policies had worked to blunt the human advantage, not just in the short term, but also deeply into the future. By limiting children's opportunities to play, let me read that again. By limiting children's opportunities to play and by restricting their capacity to see faces and interact socially by keeping them from school and teaching them to shy away from touch, the 2049 generation had paid a disastrous price in the form of the loss of both human and Western, Western legacies. Indeed, by the end of 2021, after two Mass years, a study conducted by researchers at Brown University and Rhode Island Hospital reported that the mean IQ score for children born during the pandemic was over 20 points lower than the average of prior generations. Reduced interaction, missed educational opportunities, and lost opportunities for creative play all served to impact child neurodevelopment. And as the study's authors concluded, we find that children born during the pandemic have significantly reduced verbal, motor, and overall cognitive performance compared to children born pre-pandemic. <clears throat> Moreover, we find that males and children in lower socioeconomic families have been most, most affected. Results highlight that even in the absence of direct SARS-CoV-2 infection and COVID-19 illness, the environmental changes associated COVID-19 pandemic is significantly and negatively affecting infant and child development. I spent almost a decade in the tech space and seven years as the CEO of a tech company building digital products. I saw firsthand how for tech companies, human society is the competitor against which it is vital to strategize. From Facebook to Twitter to Salesforce, to Microsoft Teams, to Zoom, most digital platforms seek to persuade people to stop doing something IRL or in real life and instead do it on the digital platform. It is their business model. They are in the business of targeting private, community-based human time and space. While this has always been so pre-2020, humans did most things together. When we worshiped in church, when our children were in a classroom, when we attended a town hall meeting, no data was being generated. Tech companies saw themselves as losing money every time humans gather in a humane analog spaces. This is the reason why a favorite buzzword in the tech CEO circles is disruptive. The primary thing every digital company wants to disrupt is human society from which they are not profiting. The more that tech platforms and policies are able to shut down human community, and restrict the freedom of humans, the wealthier big tech corporations seem to become. The goal of almost all tech companies is to gather either eyeballs, allowing the tech company to sell advertising or data, whereby they harvest every keystroke you generate on the site and sell that information to advertisers, insurance agencies, marketers, hospital chains, and so on. This unseen market of data purchasing and data warehousing is vast, almost beyond imagining. The business model for Zoom, which has servers based in China, is your data and your attention. The lack of security of Zoom and other similar platforms was the reason that 
The renowned cybersecurity expert Stephen Waterhouse referred to the lockdown of 2020 as a hack of the intellectual property and data of the West. The business model for Nintendo is your attention, your eyeballs. The business model for Microsoft is your data, subscriptions to its software, and your attention, eyeballs. The business model for Microsoft Teams is a subscription. The business model for Microsoft's educational offerings is data and license sales of the software to school districts. All these business models gain massive advantages via the suppression of human community and free assembly during the pandemic. While the pandemic edicts had no science behind them from the tech CEO perspective, they ensured that humans with virtually no analog slash humane space or culture left no way to feel comfortable simply gathering in a room, touching one another's friends or allies or joining together, were almost wholly reliant on digital technology, driving all human interaction, human interaction onto Zoom and others not always secure platforms was not only a way to harvest all of our data, it was a way to ensure as face-to-face -face human connection withered and died that what passes for intimacy and connection in the future will increasingly be online. So it was as if the world had been redesigned by Klaus Schwab in the promotion of the Great Reset. Culture is the great source of strength and fortitude of the human species. But after a year of no worship, no Passover, no Christmas, no school, no Boy Scouts, no Girl Scouts, no prom, no Neapolitan chit-chat with pizza vendors, no New York chit-chat with hot dog vendors, no new openings on Broadway, no galas, no jazz groups improvising, no humans actually meeting unexpectedly, there was nothing to write or sing about, nothing to remember, no history to tell our kids and the kids hardly even knew there was a world outside of their rooms. Culture requires human contact to replicate and develop. And when you isolate humans and don't educate or socialize kids, then culture dies to be readily replaced by online or CDC or CCP directives. Meanwhile, forbidding assembly kept us from forming human alliances against those monstrous interests. In a world marked by great uncertainty and volatility, Schwab remarked in 2017, in introducing the brutal Xi Jinping, whom he regularly features as a model leader, the international community is looking up to China to continue its responsive and responsible leadership. Little wonder that such Schwab allies and confederates such as New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern a WEF Young Global Leaders alumna and Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, half of whose cabinet Schwab once boasted were WEF alumni, World Economic Forum, that's what that stands for, would align with tech companies to crack down on free thought and human assembly. Forbidding human assembly has the effect and the intent of preventing new cultures and new business models from arising. By early 2022, we were all still basically stuck with the connections and ideas that we had in March of 2019. Forcing kids to distance at school and wear masks ensured a generation of Americans who don't know how to form human alliances indeed don't trust their own human instincts while driving all learning onto distance platforms ensured that kids would not know how to behave 
in human spaces which are not mediated by technology. Those are counter-revolutionary training techniques. In the pre-masking, pre-2020 past, human connection was the norm. People had new and surprising experiences as a matter of course, enriching their own base of understanding and knowledge. Train travel and plane travel mixed up left and right, African American and Caucasian, rich and poor, techies and journalists, farmers and teachers. The beauty of public spaces where public can breathe and talk unhindered is that they break up encapsulated social and democratic networks. Ideas and knowledge brush up against each other. Cultures merge and new businesses, new ideas, new alliances, and organic new histories are created. But when that human technology of public space with breath and speech intact is broken and masked and distancing broke and disabled it entirely, people are reduced to machine algorithms for understanding their worlds. Progressives were fed only progressive ideas by an algorithm on their social media. They never bumped into a conservative with whom they could speak easily on a train, at church, or on a plane. Conservatives were fed only conservative ideas. They could never sit for five hours next to someone they liked with whom they enjoyed speaking, but who would also challenge their ideas. We became even more divided and managed culturally by digital ghosts, by shadows, by codes. Anything could be said about the other side. And we were at risk of believing it because masking ensured that those chance stray conversations that continually educate and surprise free humans and which constantly undermine tendentious propaganda and ideologies could not happen. Indeed, what could be more dangerous to a democratic nation's health than forcing upon its children an extended tutorial on the need for absolute and unquestioning compliance to authority, even when the commands make no logical or ethical sense? Why develop policies that punish, encumber, and restrict human contact in humane analog, unsurveilled, unmediated spaces? Because human contact is the great revolutionary force underlining human freedom. We are relentlessly encouraged by tech companies to think of their technology as enabling human processes, making human actions more efficient. Do your bookkeeping better. Find a restaurant more easily. Take, talk to a loved one far away. In fact, the business models of most tech giants, and especially social media giants, most thrive when they have replaced human experience and human actions. And now they have moved on to suppressing human experience and human actions. Amazon wants to persuade you that it is not fun or worthwhile for you to go to your local supermarket or to window shop in the mom-and-pop shops on Main Street. Amazon is competing with the pleasure you get from chatting with a checkout clerk or the unexpected treat of bumping into a neighbor in the supermarket aisle and even with the small mood boost you get from dreamily gazing at a pile of scarlet mangoes or green avocados and the sensory inputs you receive from picking up the fragrant mango to inhale the scent or running a finger along the rough smooth avocado to check its ripeness. In 2019, Amazon's revenues were 280 
$1.52 billion. And by the end of its first lockdown year, Amazon's revenue was up to $105.4 billion. Indeed, from 2020 to 2022, the massive realignment in wealth and investment that took place left the biggest five companies in the world, say one Saudi energy company, as tech companies are all worth more than $1 trillion. And there's a graph here, but I'm not able to translate it, so I'll have, have to keep going. Etsy and Craigslist are competing with the excitement of country drives to a, a real garage sale and auction. And with the pleasure you get from touching old wood or admiring the shading of paint in real paintings, they compete with the pleasure of attending physical auctions and the excitement you might get from outbidding other humans in a room. Etsy's business press speaks openly about the boom it in profits it sustained as a result of lockdown. People had to run or turn to Etsy over the past year. The company guided revenue growth of about 10% year over year for the fourth quarter, between 660 million and 690 million. People flocked to the site to buy pandemic essentials like face masks. The whole conversation since then has been once the world reopens, how much of that will you lose? How much of that will you give up? And that was a fair thing to ask, the CEO Josh Silverman said. The business press is open about how lockdown policies drove certain sectors' profits. Etsy's revenue in, the, in 2019 was $818.79 million. And by the end of the first lockdown year, it was up to $1.725 billion. Etsy was in the first billion-dollar Silicon Valley club. Its revenues had more than doubled see here in a year Etsy's initial business model was to offer cute original handmade or eclectic goods that small business owners and craftspeople traditionally offer in little shops but when you kill off all the little shops those small craftspeople and one woman boutique owners have nowhere else to transact than Etsy a lockdown in which small boutiques must must close makes 906 million win for you and your shareholders in one year. Nintendo competes with real bowling leagues and real baseball games, real hiking clubs, real poker tournaments, real billiard halls. Nintendo's sales were $9.96 billion in 2018 and $10.91 billion in 2019, $12.12 .12 billion in lockdown 2020, and $15.99 billion in masked distanced 2021. A high that the company had not been able to attain since 2010. The lockdown years brought Nintendo quite literally billions of dollars in new revenue. Look what happened to Nintendo during the two years your child was prevented from being maskless on a sports team, hanging out with friends, unmasked at school, or in any way playing normally with peers, forbidden to play with cards, puzzles, hockey sticks, basketballs, pool tables, ice skates, soccer balls or footballs to play any other sport or game with friends unmasked. Lockdown in which children were especially targeted and forcibly masked saved Nintendo as a moneymaker for its shareholders the end of the second lockdown year, a year in which kids desperate to breathe left the blanked out muffled faces of their peers with whom they could have no fun whatsoever to flee for relief to their rooms so they could breathe freely. 
and numb their loneliness with a video game. What happened to Nintendo sales then? The company was up another third of its former total and was racing profitably away from a mid-2010 slump. What about Apple? When your kids couldn't talk to their friends in person, when no one could easily talk to anyone in person, we all took out our phones, and for hundreds of millions of us, it wasn't an iPhone. Look at Apple. A vast spike showed in the first quarter of the lockdown with all of 2021, nearly double Q3 of 2019 and Q1 of 2022, more than triple Q3 of 2019. I remember standing masked in a hotel, waiting for an elevator next to another masked woman. Under ordinary conditions, we would have smiled, chatted, and shared some small talk in the elevator about what shows to see at what museums or about great restaurants nearby. She smiled with her eyes. I smiled with my eyes. And of course, since it was going to be awkward in the elevator now, we both took out our phones. That moment, reproduced around the world for two years, led to the doubling, in some cases tripling, of income for some tech companies. So lockdowns and masking made the whole world and all of human interaction an awkward moment in which you reach for your phone. As CNBC reported over the past year, Apple and Microsoft got within arm's reach of a $3 trillion market cap, while Facebook parent company Meta both reached the $1 trillion milestone for the first time. This is what happened to Microsoft's net income during the two years that everyone was forced indoors and children were kept home from school. Just before the pandemic, its net income was $39.24 billion. What it was after two years of lockdown, after local and federal governments around the world were forced onto Microsoft Teams to deliberate, when almost no one would visit a human physical office, and Microsoft Education offered webinars for helpless teachers forced to communicate with each other online. Microsoft's net income went from $39.24 billion to $61.27 billion in two years. Shutting your child inside and closing down every human society reaped an increase in annual net income of over $22 billion. And Google? When people are forced indoors and can't ask for directions from other humans for a restaurant or car wash recommendations, can't go to town halls to find out what's happening in their communities, and can't ask humans for recipes or hear new jokes, and when people across the nation have to sign into Google to get the results from COVID tests, that they took at Rite Aid, well, you can see what happens. Educational software? I had known the space of distance learning since I analyzed it on behalf of Bernard College's Athena Center for Women in Leadership in 2015. I had also researched creating virtual classes for my own tech company, Daily Clout IO. In indeed, a truism of the virtual university field before the pandemic was that it was difficult to earn substantial money from educational platforms since human students so preferred being in human classrooms with human peers and teachers. My report in 2015 concluded that Bernard College should not bother with existing distance learning options as they were unpopular with students and faculty and they did not yield revenues. Coursera, the model distance learning company, was my object lesson. Coursera was not that profitable then. 
The company stayed massively unprofitable, but the pandemic boosted growth. Revenue in 2020 increased 59% over the prior year. Because the Coursera management were geniuses? No. Because millions of students around the world could no longer go to university or college. The lockdown made this multi-million dollar loser ripe for a staggering valuation on IBO, IPO. According to its SEC filings, its 2020 revenue was $294 million. Its workforce more than doubled, and it kept expanding overseas. Its 77 million learners come from 190 countries, reported Forbes.com. The company, which benefited from the fact that people were forced to stay indoors and universities were forced to close, went public in March of 2021. Its final pre-IPO valuation stood at $3.6 billion. It's now worth nearly $7 billion, reports Forbes. So how is distance learning growing so fast? Better question, why did so many schools and universities send their students home when children are at almost no risk for serious outcomes from COVID-19 and young adults are at little risk? Many parents rightfully and desperately wondered exactly this. The reason in many cases that schools and universities promoted distance learning and that is what they were paid to do. Coursera paid $281 million to its 200 university and industry partners to close its $294 million in revenue. Usually it is the customers that pay for the software but not in this model. The universities treat content and they get paid by Coursera per student which incentivizes colleges and universities to create hybrid learning programs and not just let young adults be humanly present with no extra royalties coming in in school or on campus. Given a choice, most students, of course, would have preferred in-person learning to being forced to learn online, but they were not given a choice. Given those kinds of numbers, and the deals being done between distance learning platforms and universities, the phrase hybrid learning is going to hound us into the future, pandemic or not. It is unlikely that schools or universities will ever escape the much promoted hybrid model unless there is more, unless there is a citizen and student revolt. So much money is low-hanging fruit for big tech. If only your child can continue to be kept away from the school lab and sports field, and drama club, her friends and her teachers, and shut away safely in her room. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Tesla, and Facebook added a combined $2.9 trillion to their collective market caps in 2021, according to data from FactSet. At the end of 2020, Apple was up 30%, Microsoft was up 50%, Alphabet, Google's parent company, was up 65%. Amazon was up 6%. Meta, Facebook, was up 20%. This dizzying boom indeed began to slow in Q1 of 2022 when people in many American states began in earnest to return to normal life and a movement finally pushed back against restrictions. Policies issued by governors, policed by social media sites with conflicts of interest, and enforced by bought-off universities had overnight killed off much of the competition of human-to-human -human learning and left devastatingly maimed the beautiful classroom of the old order. A letter. On July 7th of 2021, I posted a video of Brian reading 
allowed Dr. Ralph's Dr. Ralph Barry's CV. A University of North Carolina researcher, Dr. Barrick, had received millions of dollars in gain-of-function research funding from the NIH. I penned the resume itself as well. Within 24 hours, the video had 70,000 views. A day later, in another hotel room, I read a video of a press release by State Senator Kim Thatcher of Oregon, who would call for an investigation into the misrepresentation of data by the CDC. As I sought to post the press release, Twitter showed me that my account had been suspended. We were now in the midst of a great swath of censorship and cancellations by big tech. President Trump had been kicked off of Twitter. Ben Shapiro warned that CNN was censoring conservatives. LinkedIn censored the Harvard epidemiologist slash hero, Dr. Martin Kohldorf, and on and on. Big Tech was deplatforming anyone who raised questions about the mRNA vaccines, and Big Tech was deplatforming conservatives apace. I had been suspended by Twitter temporarily twice before, so I assumed that they would relent eventually, and I went to bed. In the morning, I saw that news outlets across the English-speaking world had been attacking me with bizarre distortions of my Twitter feed. It was notably interesting that tweets I had deleted immediately for having been poorly phrased, tweets that literally did not exist, had been provided to journalists. In addition, tweets that were quotes from websites or obvious metaphors were presented out of context to make me sound deranged. I had quoted, for instance, that the Moderna's website metaphor about the software of life in a tweet and responded with a metaphor, and yet I was accused in the wave of attacks of believing <coughs> that the vaccines were literally software. I had penned an FDA white paper that examined the possible effect of spike protein in wastewater, and I satirized what was fast becoming a vaccine-based segregation by joking about separating vaccinated and unvaccinated people's wastewater. This was presented as my advocating to separate the waste of these two groups. I had posted a tweet with an image of a teddy bear, which had been aimed at luring parents to vaccinate their kids, and reporters claimed that I believed teddy bears should be vaccinated. These news outlets, many of which over the course of decades had, had commissioned me to write for them, did not contact me to check for accuracy for a quote, or for my point of view. The New Republic, which was still even at that moment syndicating my work, ran a headline, The Madness of Naomi Wolf. I was interviewed by the Sunday Times of London, for whom I had written for years. Indeed, I had been a columnist. The young reporter, with her talking points in hand, asked me about my purported beliefs in QAnon. It was stunning to watch a full-on digitally enhanced smear campaign unfold in real time. Journalism had changed. It was impossible to get corrections. Editors seemed cowed and helpless. It was not surprising that journalism had so dramatically changed. Tim Schwab, writing in the Columbia Journalism Review, scrutinized the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and found $250 million 
going to media outlets, including BBC, The Atlantic, NBC, and The Guardian. Around the world, headlines declared that I had been deplatformed from Twitter for spreading medical misinformation or vaccine myths. Soon after, Facebook suspended my account with its 134,000 followers. YouTube suspended my account with its 440,000 video views. These suspensions were crippling blows to my digital reach-based company. Some investors in my company asked for their money back. Now I was shifted rudely over to a whole new life status. I had been secure member of the influential chattering class circles in New York and Washington. Now, like the dissident doctors, dissident scientists, and the very few dissident journalists, I was stripped of income and reputation, friend groups, and status. And in some ways, I had to start over. I couldn't complain to my senator. Facebook had donated $50,000 to his campaign. Arriving at the train station in Washington, D.C. in 2021, I got into a mass driver taxi. Having spent five hours on the Acela from New York City in a train filled with the elite high-level business people and political employees, all thoroughly masked and attached to their screens rather than reading or chatting or talking on the phone, I was eager for human connection. I told the driver I didn't care if he wore a mask. He indicated miserably that it, he must. He spoke about how he and other cab drivers were barely surviving with so many federal employees working from home. Usually I would chat with the driver about what is happening in his home country, Ethiopia in this case, and thus get valuable secondhand access to eyewitness accounts of events in other parts of the world. And when I asked, I turned and offer information that I had. I was usually asked about access to affordable universities for kids. But now that wasn't possible. After a few muffled efforts, we gave up and each concentrated on breathing. So I didn't know what was happening in Ethiopia from his perspective that day, and my driver didn't find out if I might have helped his kids into an affordable college. By the time I went back to New York City in January of 2021, there were far fewer yellow cabs than I had remembered. That industry, a cabbie told me, had been killed by lockdown. In its place were Ubers and Lyfts, which don't give the driver a valuable equity or chance for independence that a medallion system does. These app-based companies, not incidentally, track both drivers and passengers, creating a social credit system based on how you treat each other. This is true. A goal of the tech elites is to create smart cities, which almost no one but they wish to have. In these reimagined cities, your every action is mapped in a digital matrix. By the time I went back to New York City, the human information clerks had been cleared out of the suburbs, subways, and the paper maps had been removed. You had to consult your phone and generate data in geolocation just to find out where you were supposed to go. Now there were QR codes in every restaurant, so no one would touch the Germany paper menus. Customers did not realize, perhaps no longer cared, that each time they did so they could have been geolocated and potentially connected to the others at the table swiping their code. I sat at a restaurant with a loved one. Can I have a paper menu? I asked the waitress. Why? 
my loved one inquired, happily scanning his phone to the QR code. Because the QR code can scan your data and geolocate you, I replied. Oh my God, Naomi, does everything have to be a conspiracy, said my loved one. I am like this woman. I am like Naomi Wolf. I'm exactly like Naomi Wolf in that way. So that's the chapter. I'm going to try to invite some people. I'm just going to invite all these folks. See if anybody wants to come in and talk. So, welcome to the Unsanctioned Citizen. I see the ever-faithful Mr. Joshua. If you are able or desire to talk, you may speak up and talk about this subject matter. How do you find the chapter of the tech bubble? Go ahead. Depressing. Sure. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I think I'm too depressed to talk about this stuff for much longer. So. I it's just hard feel to like feel your blood. feelings. <laughs> it's, I mean, everybody's really in the same boat, though. And, and, and I know what that was like. I went to, I deliberately drove out of town to a smaller place in Washington State to try to get a menu uh, in, a, in a smaller town because maybe they would have paper menus or just the wipe down menus uh, maybe they would be a little bit less tight on the uh, COVID regulations but you know I went into this restaurant and they just kind of kind of sneered at me for trying to get a menu with not and not use the QR code <laughs> and that happened you know like a lot <laughs> so uh, you know and then the the impacts to children, it's kind of making a comeback. I think San Diego is reinstating the mask mandates for kids. It's summer. It's summer and it's super hot. Why now? Yeah, I, I mean, just, I mean, what does this portend for the future? Like, what are we trying to accomplish in society? I think you did mention at one point, Josh, that you had. Do you have a school age child? Oh no, he's uh, he's out of school now. No, he's uh, very independent. So, uh, but I mean, he and I actually differ on the whole mask mandate and the approach to the pandemic. But we can't. Huh? Huh? Well, what was that like? Um, it's difficult, but that's difficult one, uh, I think, for anybody that, uh, I don't, say is he you're still, in the middle on this Is he still living issue. with you, or is he, is he living oh, outside no, the Oh, no, absolutely not. No, he's okay. an adult. Okay. Yeah, he's so more you... of an adult than I am. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it's, if you have worked on marginalized issues, you're usually around more liberal-leaning uh leftist leaning folks um and i would yeah. yeah and and there's a lot of money associated with the masks um and you can get good money especially if you're a nonprofit that winds up with supporting it um hmm. even even if i would say it's kind of a nink and a what nink a wink and a nudge support uh that was easy for me to say um 
and but you're getting the money, so you do it. I can you you go along with it. I don't know that people are really thinking that deeply about this, but I uh, maybe like you get accused of overthinking stuff in conspiracy theories a few times hmm. a day. Um, so um, well, they feel annoyed. I feel like they 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 are not thinking. And they don't want to think, and these are challenging subject matters, and it's 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 easier to just kind of kind of prick the person that's making them think, which is something that probably happens a lot to Naomi, um, but also to me, uh, and, and people who 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 challenge wrote ideas without questioning it. She's anti-authoritarian, which I think that you are. Um, and I, I think that when you do that, you will you will get some pushback immediately from people who who just don't want to think. Like they don't, they're not been, they haven't been coached into thinking. They're being talked out of thinking. So I mean, but if you just if that's your, well, your and reflex, there's, there's it's also group think. Like they don't want to be the one that gets kicked out of the group for thinking differently, um, and they don't want to associate with people that. Uh, will pull them away from the group. Um, so if you're an but individualist... But if you're face-to-face, this is what's happening. Like, you're just one-to-one. Where is the compulsion of this group? It, it just seems to have this uh, this outsized influence in interpersonal relations. You know, it's not like the group is there to actively mind you. They're carrying the water of this group. Which is something I don't understand. I've never been kind of in that frame to carry that water. Now I did have a. I did have a. Human. Go ahead. It doesn't sound very human. That frame. Huh. It, it sounds very robotic. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about. Is we want us to be comfortable with less human interaction. Right. Because that makes a shit ton of money. That and is exactly they are able what to we farm talked about. Everything. Yeah. That's why it's and, depressing. And Just talking about it as opposed to like doing a revolution. Like that's kind of what I want to do. Like how do you well, do a revolution? It, it's therapeutic so I, to, to exhume exhume these ideas and understand that those feelings are, are correct and real, they come from somewhere. And that they are associated with this. It is deeply motivating for me to connect with the truth. And when the truth makes me utterly uncomfortable, which I am frequently uncomfortable, most of the time, I'd say I had about a 10-minute block last week where I actually felt no anxiety, which is which is tremendous. That, that was a glorious luxury. I'll remember it for about a year. But the rest of the time, I'm thinking about things that, that actually irritate me, that challenge me, that cause me discomfort, and, and urge me to, to p- possess the reins of survival, or to, to, to not ignore these, these social irritants. So I'm, I'm pursuing this discomfort. I'm, I'm pursuing this because I want it resolved. You know, I want the margin to dissolve. This was forced upon us. Nobody asked for this. Nobody asked for this crap. And I think that 
Someone had left a comment. Oh, there's there's some more people here. Hey, Miranda! And James is with us as well. Would anybody else like to come and, and speak? Please. <laughs> Such a burden, Josh. <laughs> no, it's not a burden. I'm just... <laughs> Go ahead. I feel like the rooms that I'm in, I'm in with the right people. We're all very, very frustrated. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I don't, we aren't coming up with many plans. Mm. Um, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm more of a doer in my life. And so this, this gets really, uh, it, it gets to be a much, uh, is the reality of it. I, I can I, talk about uh, the doing. I'm I mean, if you want to, if you want to do some troubleshooting, I can, I can throw some. I want other here. people to talk. <laughs> other than me? <laughs> no, you're, it's your show. You have to. Uh, but, uh, but, you, but know, you desire whoever... the collegiate, the you know, interplay of like, hey, I, maybe this guy has an idea. Maybe this guy yeah, has an idea. Well, I, well, I'm not, I don't really like the spotlight or the attention. Um, for many, let's say. Uh, well, the great, but, the, uh, the great benefit of, of this this very tiny salon that is the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast is that uh, you you get to to come in here and with a, a small frame of people participate in, in these discussions that are enriching, uh, but you're not really you're not mega broadcasting. You're not reaching four million viewers in one five-minute shot, so it's it's deeply decompressing for me as well uh, that I am not on on a major television news network. I think I would I probably would die from the the uh, circumspect after the event. Um, a lot of people don't know how to to kind of absorb that much like psychic attention. I'm one of these super sensitive people, so I, I try to stay away from it. So I really, I really admire people who can do that because, or they, they have just like a really thick skin or something. Um, I'm not saying that they're insensitive jerks or anything, but they just, I don't, you have to be a really uh, resilient person mentally in order to, to kind of have that, that solid, massive jello wall. Someone talked to me about the Jello Wall this week. I might actually get to be famous though if I manage the Jello Wall pretty well. So let me let me tell you about the Jello Wall. Please now, do. I'm, I'm <laughs> excited for your fame, your upcoming fame. No, I mean I, I think it's a fame management thing. So or just a person's you know outside influence thing. So you imagine that there's a giant Jello Wall around you, and that these people's word darts, whatever they are get thrown at you and you get this this objective distance automatically you know when, when their words because people will talk and you know when you're trying to settle in or whatever uh, sometimes people's subconsciouses are very active I'm one of those people whose subconscious is really active so um, so these little darts of what people say or conclusions they have made based on other things that you've said, you know, you're just pulling together these threads and then they kind of feel like darts, but then they're caught in the jello. And then you get to ask two questions. The questions are, is it true? And is it about me? 
And so if you don't want the dart and the jello, you're just like, ask it that those two questions, and then it will go away. I think you might have stole that from Plato. Um, <laughs> and there's a third thing where... Plato's jello Is it wall? useful? Yeah. What, well, yeah. Is, is will it, it useful? Will it yeah. Will it allow me to make a better decision going forward, or are you telling me this or engaging me in this because you want my time and attention in some way for you? It's not about making the situation better. It's not making it's making a, a, a losing situation uh, by manipulation. I, I mean, that is capitalism, right? Uh, is we're not winning, but we're continuing to engage in processes that create greater wealth and equality gaps and equity gaps and opportunity gaps, technology hmm. gaps. Um, and it, it's profitable, but it's not healthy is my uh, uninformed opinion. Uh, or maybe it's just personal experience. Uh, <laughs> Which but, is, uh, it is your own catalog of, of a life lived experience, you know, so that it does count for something. It does count for something. Coursera is advertising me into the, on the television right now. Oh, we got a quote talk. here from Cheese yeah. Baby Girl. Which is Miranda. She says, I don't, I'm not sure what we're talking about yet. Uh, LOL. Okay, so we, we read chapter 12 of The Bodies of Others, which was Naomi Wolf's tome, her, her study on the margins and the marginalization processes of the pandemic. Okay, this is where she kind of indicated the profit motive of tech companies to maintain a censorship regime. She pointed out how much money the tech companies basically made from people being locked in their houses using technology, being purely reliant on technology. And so <clears throat> the only thing keeping us kind of like voluntarily placed inside of our our own cells was, you know, do I have the vaccine? Do I not have the vaccine? Am I compliant with the, with the WHO, WHO rules or not? Do I do this or not do this? Do I conform or comply? Do I not comply? And urging people to comply somehow would um, embrace the, the technocratic atmosphere, very authoritarian, wanting to control the outcome and steer it in, in the favor of their own profits. That makes total sense. But I, I think tech, technocratic autocracies are, are, are capitalists look like they're using capital engines, but they are run by an autocratic governance type. So it's unethical what they have done. And so I think that the social solution, at least for the short term, is to definitely break up the tech companies. Don't allow them to continue to have such monolithic block power in which they are able to control anything from electorate outcomes to uh, the types of information threading that you see. Um, and where they have to be accountable for the data that they collect. Because so far, what has been conspicuously absent, 
given, it, with the exception of Ken Buck in Congress, you know, and a few other loud voices on this issue, is that the SEC needs to step in and make data some kind of personal securities issue. And that way that the pricing or the pricing and profit motive around your data, which belongs to you, comes back to to you and your permissions. Well, do, do, is this the price that you want? Uh, is this where I shall invest my, my data property? And then getting kind of a, a securities platform, like, a, like an FDIC, and this is something I've talked about in my book, which hasn't been read on this, on this channel, but I, I wrote a book. a book. Yeah, I have a book. It's called well, Privacy that, is a Spy. You should have brought, you should have brought that. I, I'm, I, you know, I mean, I, I have a LinkedIn. I have a website that is regularly announced, Sheila M. Dean, at the, at the end of the broadcast. If, if you want to go there, if you, if you have a job in your pocket, you know, if you have something for me to do, you know, you can go there and um, I'll help you out for pay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then you're talking to the wrong I'll help audience. you out for pay, you know. <clears throat> Solutions for money. I'll do it. Because <laughs> uh, you came on that AI show and heckled me about it, Josh. <laughs> well, I, yeah. The only reason I could heckle you is because I also don't have an opportunity. So, for based on being, uh, what is it? Obstinate, oppositionally defiant. Uh, okay, but I mean, I mean oppositional defiance in the face of tyranny, I don't consider oppositional defiance. Yeah, I, um, I think it's actually oh, useful. It kind of blends. I think pe- it, it would become kind of model behavior at that point. You could you could show people the oh. way, but then once once the tyranny's over, then then you're going to be a displaced soldier. <laughs> we got to find something else for you to be defiant against. <laughs> death I don't I don't even want to overcome death at this point like uh, uh, but uh, I, we're meandering uh, this conversation oh I went okay through, I mean I went I, through, I, I'm, it's no, very it's pleasant I have it's something. very pleasant I, I appreciate it as well I always do I went through the TSA for the first time in I don't know how many years because I too have when, when was this slide. I'm in Austin uh, so, oh, you uh, are in Austin. I mean, do you do you live here, or yeah. are you just traveling here? No, I came here. Uh, so, and I went. I flew. I usually have been driving for the last few years. So, so you're in town right now. I do you, we we broadcast from Austin, Josh. Um, I just want you to know that um, locally, the Real ID Act has been kind of. I don't know, minced. It's supposed to be, as far as the the driver's license article, you're supposed to be able to say, I just want this to operate a motor vehicle versus I want to use this as a global identity credential to get on an airplane. And, you know, I do have a passport for those occasions, which are infrequent, by the way. They are infrequent. So I don't have to use my driver's license to to be like a global citizen wherever I go. Now there are people who want that, and that's fine. They can do that, but um, but it should be a choice. And and the law as written, it should be a choice. But 
but the way they're administrating at the driver's license offices is that we're not going to give you a license unless you go for the real ID. And that's not an option. That's voluntary compulsory, you know, shedding. Like they, they want to push you in this direction and they're not giving you an option to have a different license. That, that uh, yeah, I did read true. that. So I, I, yeah, I saw on the bus that by 2023, real ID is going to be required to travel in the United States, too. So that was another reason where I'm like, oh, okay, well, um, that's another reason. I yeah, don't but they've kicked this. a can for like 12 and a half years. It's been law for nearly, a, what, like a decade? Yeah, a decade. Nobody's ever enforced it. And so they, 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 tro- they trot out these deadlines for real ID, like, I don't know, every 12, you know, every year, every 16 months, they try out more deadlines, ah, and they kick the can again. So you're going to see a real ID deadline, I think, for another seven and a half years because they don't they don't plan on readily enforcing the law because it's it should be optional, okay? it's It started out as a federal mandate, but then as codified in the states, it should be optional as, like, a driver's license article. Now, when you go into the airport, they don't really give you an option. You got to show ID to fly, which is, you know, something that was bitterly argued by uh, Edward Hasbrook, who's, you know, renowned anarchist out of San Francisco, who's done really great work on the Identity Project, and we were strong allies for a while. Um, uh, but the th- the thing what that happened was that after 2010, this this movement kind of frayed because the scope got all out of whack. I mean, we, we were Can really I tell fighting. You they didn't... Go ahead. Um, one, I felt so much safer because they are still checking your shoes. Um, and they, you felt they safer? Missed my... I'm being sarcastic. Um, and uh, they, they missed the scissors in my carry-on, uh, <laughs> and they missed the bait pin. Um, so I was like, this is just the perception of security that's security costing us a theater. lot of money. We, I talked about it for years. It's security theater. <clears throat> Do you know how you sell in the security industry? I mean, I'm never getting back in there now. Um, it's called fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Oh, FUD. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard about but FUD. If, no, I'm not saying you don't need to protect data, especially if it's private data, uh, which... You know, I'm not saying that most organizations do well based on their ability to read the manuals and how often the agile software development creates new features that break shit. Um, but it, the the amount of money that is spent on it uh, is uh, it's ridiculous based on the how ineffective it is. Um, every time it's another arms race. That's all I'm saying, and it's uh, it's not all for. They're still trying to talk of up the scanners. You know the scanners that you had the nude scanners that you have to go oh, through, where you lift up your arms. I didn't get. Oh, I didn't get nude. That's uh, you didn't get nude yeah. scanned. Did did you get groped instead? No, I did. Oh, no, I went instead. through the no. No, I I was being so it's funny again. It's groped or scanned. What did you did you did you not do either or something or did you do the clear ID? No, I, I no, I I don't have the clear ID. I went none. Oh, I did the hands up. I just I didn't do it nude. I don't. So they got pictures of my junk. Great. Okay, yeah, um, they nude scanned you. You know, 
You know, they you're did. not nude, but they nude scanned you. And, uh, and, yeah. and, you know, you're supposed to be able to go to DHS and say, you know, get rid of that, get rid of that placard if you're done with it. And then they tell you yes, and then they laugh at you if you try. So it's really kind of false advertising from the government, which is also known as a lie, uh, when they tell you you have the option to do these things, and then they just don't honor that. So that's an oblique form of bullying from DHS that I don't think should be tolerated at all. They should be sued. They should be kind of strung up for some of this. So there, there should be some kind of recompense or some some will to like deny them funding, tell them to go shove it, tell them you're not going to do it, you know, something. But there's a lot of these, you know, ill ill-conceived laws that they they come across to you like they are for your benefit they lie to you about it and then when you live with it it's not it doesn't it doesn't help you like it doesn't improve your security outcomes Th- think of how are we uh, getting to this place without revolution well i i don't think that that revolution revolution has many manifestations josh and if if i may there are are we going to slow roll it uh, I don't think it's going to be violent necessarily, but I, I think it's going to have to take some sort of, of uh, decoupling of the tech motivations, you know, the DOD and, and the security aperture and, you know, the, the counterterrorism nut, okay? This does new, it, bumper, this new bumper crop, what's that? I don't want this, to interrupt because I no, do No, this that. bumper crop of, of new people, okay, that's a new chance to, to slam some, some paper on the table and say, listen, we have done this security theater garbage for 15 years. It didn't go our way. We didn't get what we were supposed to get, and they got our money, okay? We're on the hook for this, and we're not more secure. Now they'll they'll trot out, you know. Oh, we we picked up a bazooka that one time, uh, but I'm sure you probably would have caught that anyway. It's not like you can kind of conceal that easily in a suitcase. You know, it somebody can what? get that through an yeah. X-ray machine. You follow me? I mean, well, there and are... I don't. Yeah, and I'm, and they're not going to attack. They're not going to attack us over here. Anymore. Because I mean, our multiplier effect when we attack back is astronomically huge. Uh, so we do proxy wars. Um, we put other people's lives on the line globally to, to further our interests. So I mean, we we're um, kind of sick of it. There's a there's a huge you know left of center contingency and right of center contingency who are kind of unified on this. They're like, they're, we're done paying for stupid wars that go nowhere and go on forever. So, so we get we get to, to kind of retool this. There's a fair amount of new people that are coming in that want to eliminate the war quorum. Okay, we don't need it, and you know you can call it America First agenda, but I don't think it's exclusively. It may have been couched as Donald Trump's idea. I would say that he. He inseminated the movement. It's already going. It's puttering well, out there on its well, own. You, you just put two horrible words together you, uh, with that person's name. Inseminate and idea. Um, so, uh, but 
I don't think. But it's out there. Wa- it's got those- legs. It's walking, man. I mean, it's out there. It's yeah, happening. that's a neocon, neoliberal uh, agenda, and it is a global agenda of global elites. Uh, Wait, with, what? Uh, the, most the, the the continual war that that's neoliberal. Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, I just it's didn't want to be paired with what I. Okay. So I wrote yeah. I wrote now, something to the transom today. Right. Did, would you like to hear? Would you like to hear what I wrote? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm gonna mute myself here. Okay, so I wrote some stuff to to Ben Dominic at the Transom, you know, as as a reply to his Finland, Sweden, and American first, uh, America first, and I had to indicate what the situation was with Russia. Not that anybody greatly cares, but here on the unsanctioned citizen, one of the things you can't be against is you know going to war necessarily by proxy with Ukraine and Russia can't do that can't say that out loud in in any kind of company uh, because you're supposed to just let them rape your wallet with this one um, and I, I said this I said I'll maintain my personal heresy that I do not care about Russia right now they have a limited economy propaganda mills and the internet it's like if the New York Times news and editorial became a government with a standing army and some nukes. It's ridiculous. Russia can criticize and bait expertly, but they produce nothing of value for America other than subliminal competition. So why are Democrats so obsessed with making everything about Russia? Who is behind that? It's more than high time to ask if we are now committed to paying for 53 Starlink satellites amid the 40 billion tab in case Roscosmos tries to use the ISS as a blood force bomb onto NATO Europe. But I don't think they represent the interest of the at-large population of the American people. So let's see the vote totals on the bill to end self-dealing insider trading in the legislative branch. Who voted for it? Who voted against it? And it will be the biggest litmus test yet for those in favor of self-dealing and those against it. There's your report card to get rid of the kleptocrats who sign us up for government that prints money and pays for things that we cannot pay for. So I think then America First will get the honest chance that it really deserves. Uh, I think the wish list of limiting legal immigration is is a far horizon goal. If the crisis really is NPMG cartels charging eight to fifteen thousand dollars a head to enter American Disneyland, deliver dead or alive into the interior, so. So Biden is sponsoring ID-free flights on the taxpayer dime anywhere in the U.S. Wow. And I have had to fight Steve Bannon's click tooth and fang to get real ID to be optional. DPS is not honoring it. I still can't get a driver's license to be optional for real ID in Texas, which is not what the deal was. Optional is optional. This is actually what I predicted in identity mandates. Anyway, there is an internal passport requisite for you and me and a law-abiding people. And then there's this other crime wheel that just does whatever. So if I could cut a deal with Satan Bannon and the cult of Steve Miller, it would be to stop identifying me because the U.S. government won't identify the border hoppers anyway. So just stop, and I'll help you get rid of whatever China and Mexico is doing to you. So forget the fence. It's obviously not working. You need to crush the cartels, period. They won't do that because AMLO and Trudeau are involved. And now, apparently, Hunter, by Biden proxy, is saying, 
So the migrants can fly wherever, no identity requisites, I'll fly, I'll be screened like a potential terrorist, and they'll have to pat down my genital area because Obama, I never asked for any of this, and it doesn't stop terrorism. So every place is now South Texas, a shit ton of identity requisites. People have no business asking you for identity, like inside of a Walmart or some other shopping center, to treat you like a fraud if you don't produce three government articles of identity. Then these border shadows get to do whatever. But they're going to be also living under some coyote debtor government, as mules or prostitutes or whatever, and it's just not the way you want to live. So I wonder what would happen if someone went full immersion, investigative reporting, they would hop the border, pay the coyote, wade in with the rest of the Los Asilos, and then would they actually get the free airfare and no identity contest? Would they actually ha- would this actually happen as a test? Would they end up in a human kennel with criminals in unsafe living conditions with, with, with bad water? It's likely. Uh, if I don't get to see that, I'll try to see who gives me a phone with an Uber, Uber app. You know, I'll try to find out if that actually happens. You know, it's kind of nuts. But we're taking these loose reports from here and there. So it's 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 literally too much. So that's that's kind of what I wrote. That's what it's like when I write Ben Domish. <laughs> what I'm was so, his response? I, they don't respond, dude. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know, I'm sure I just overwhelm everybody. It's cathartic. Yeah, it is. It's it, you know, it's probably what a lot of people write to them. Actually, has Green uh, has Glenwald got back to you yet? Oh, not lately. I mean, you know, he 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 wrote me back like once. I did I did a good talk on the Glenn Greenwald podcast. I think that one time, and then I got a pat on the head. So, God bless Green Glenn Greenwald. Uh, well, uh, is, is that like a blessing <laughs> from the Pope, or I mean? No, I mean he's I just, just somebody. I, he's just somebody who really penetrated the, the 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 mass consciousness on on the issue of mass surveillance, and he really he really mm. goosed it. He really got him, and so for that he'll always be kind of like in that that golden child, you know, category of of people who've done great things, just like Julian Assange. I guess I just don't have any of this uh, worship. I, I've Hero never worshipped. There's a little bit. Left. Sorry, no, there is. No, I, yeah, no. That's, I, you don't have to apologize. You can do you. Um, but uh, it's uh, because demagogues usually are not standing on their own shoulders. Like they've gotten their information and their position and their pulpit or their microphone for a reason, um, and they've grown their audience for a reason. Uh, and once they start being co-opted and or trying to manipulate for their own advantage, like it's time to tune out. Um, that's why I tune into who I tune into. Um, and usually I sit on the sidelines for quite a while before I talk. Um, you had such a small audience, I felt sorry for you. Um, I'm being <laughs> yeah, I'm a little teeny weeny, a little guppy. So... <laughs> I kind of have a pretty good voice, so, um, so, but I appreciate you, I appreciate, uh, (laughs) so does anybody want to come else up here and, and talk a little bit about what we've been discussing? Like, Illumio, James, Miranda, you're, you're welcome to come speak. 
I might just pick on one of you to come talk. Let's see if I can do that. Let's see if my operator license on this thing is is pretty good. You know what? I'm bad at this. Let's try James. All right. Come on, James. You 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 can talk. You've talked before. Give it a shout. <laughs> Miranda's going to stay silent, and Lumia's going to stay silent. Okay, I'm eating right now. Uh, okay, well, I mean, we've, we've given this some real good talk. I, th I think I feel pretty good about this. Uh, we, we can let this let this go. It's, it's after the 8 o'clock hour. I'm glad we've been here for a whole hour doing this. Um, be sure to tune in this Saturday, and actually tune in tomorrow, because we're going to read Chapter 13. And that's going to be a barn burner, I think, as they say. So um, I will let you guys go, but come back tomorrow at 7 p.m. and we'll read Naomi Wolf's Chapter 13. And But I'm only doing two chapters in this series because I want people to go buy the book. That would be The Bodies of Others. So, yes, I let you go now. We'll see you tomorrow. If you show up, I'll be really happy and glad. All right. Next time. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.